Hello, and welcome back to 100% Real with Ruby. Today, I have Andrew Coates on, and I actually first heard of him through his old podcasting partner, through actually, like, it was doing stuff that isn't really talked about, like actually bracing and breathing and doing things to integrate the most of you won't understand this, but the slings of your body from the upper left side to the lower right side, for example. And it's like people like this speak about things that actually are, even though they're minute, they make a hell of a lot of difference because if you aren't doing things properly, like I said in one of my previous posts, like you can go a hundred miles an hour, but if you're going a hundred miles an hour in the wrong direction, you're just getting faster towards the wrong place. So I'm going to let Andrew introduce himself by, I guess, also touching on the fact that a lot of people think that any advice is blanket advice and it's universal. And he just did a post on this, which is what sparked the introduction, but like not, not everyone is qualified physically to train with a barbell. Not everybody is qualified physically to back squat, to overhead press, which is why I brought in that sling thing because some people don't have the mechanics now or the movement capability now to do those things. And the same goes for dieting. Like you're probably not ready to start at rung three. You need to start at rung one first. And someone's advice about intra-workout carbs probably isn't beneficial for you if you need to lose weight. So I guess that's a brilliant way to introduce yourself. Um, thanks for having me on Ruby. I appreciate it. So, uh, if I've got to introduce myself, I've been a personal trainer for over 11 years. I'm based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I don't know where most of your listenership is from. Um, I had, I started a podcast with my good friend, Dean Guido. So that's who you're referring to. I know he was big on a lot of that stuff you just described. That was almost five years ago. And that turned into him, him and his wife, uh, they had a baby, so he left it, left the king, the keys of the kingdom to me. So I rebranded the podcast, so the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast now. That turned it well along the way. It turned into a lot of traveling, networking within the industry. That turned into writing opportunities. So I write for uh, T Nation. I write for Generation Iron. I've written for uh, the Personal Trainer Development Center, Barband, uh, a few others. More to come, and it's turned into a lot of brand and media, and that's turned into presenting at some conferences. Like I recently just spoke at Kabuki Education Week, which is a big virtual conference. So it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, to what you were saying, we could even start there. About the uh, Not all exercises are suitable to each individual person. It's the, it's the proverb, fit the exercise to the person, don't fit the person to the exercise. And I think Barbells are a great example. They also tend to get a little bit maligned. You'll see a lot of posts on social media about, oh, not everybody needs the barbell back squat. Well, kind of true, but how does that help someone? Well, a lot of the clients I work with, I start with a goblet squat. Now we, we have a lot of different messaging in social media and I'm of different minds in different contexts. On one hand, I don't believe in policing what other people are saying. Some of the messaging around fat loss, for example, a really good thing that there are people out there who are looking for safe, healthy, effective habit, lifestyle change behavior, and they're looking for fat loss. And we have 
marketers on one side and charlatans who are pushing and, and advocating for yo-yo dieting and extreme stuff that's not helpful. And then on the other side, we have this almost malevolent tribe who are in total denial of the reality of the universe who uh, decry the medical science behind the relationship between you know, the amount of body fat someone has and their long-term health outcomes and risks. And, and that's not really helpful either, especially when that particular tribe are very nasty in policing any insinuation. You know, some of it gets branded under, uh, you know, anti-diet culture stuff. And honestly, there's some people who do a really nuanced job. So Healy had a wonderful post just at the end of last year to navigate the nuance. And even then, so he does it better than anybody. And she still kind of had a few of her followers go at her because they're just completely intolerant to the suggestion that anyone should ever or would want to ever lose weight. Like, holy shit, how are we there with our society? Similarly, when it comes to the exercise science, we have tri a tribe that is built up around if you move slightly wrong and you have anything heavier than a pencil in your hands, you will break. And you have a lot of language that creates fear, language around people being dysfunctional. That's not helping anyone. And then on the other flip side, we now have this extrapolation of some research that's gone off in a really ridiculous direction where people are basically saying and vicious about no form doesn't matter now come on we we know intuitively if you've ever coached anybody we know intuitively that's complete horseshit too so if anybody listening we're starting off in kind of a heavy topic but if you're noticing you get these tribal battles between groups within the fitness industry or if you yourself are a fitness professional well a one of the worst uses of your time is to fight those battles with other fitness professionals because it does nothing to help the end user, the person who we ostensibly say, how, how many fitness professionals say, oh, I don't care about the money. I just want to help people. And why the hell are you arguing with other people about these complicated nuanced things that you probably don't even fully understand the depth of? So get out of that space, get off of arguing amongst these political or ideological tribes on Facebook and work on your business and actually communicate with the person that wants your help and needs your help. So that's the best piece of advice I could give any fitness professional. And if you're the end user and Ruby, I don't know if your audience is more trainers or more enthusiasts. All women. Well, we'll try to speak to everybody. Then with the enthusiasts, you know, be thoughtful and very, very careful in choosing who you are following and absorbing information from. If something makes you very confused or if you find the messaging is negative or even under the guise of, of a good belief system you see the person that you're following is is very vicious very hostile very nasty if they're nasty towards anyone who asks a question that doesn't a lot or, or challenges them on something that they've said now obviously we get trolls trolls are trolls forget them doesn't even matter but if you get a genuine differing of opinion from a follower who's just trying to understand better and the person you're following who you look up to is an asshole to that person, move on, right? Because what does that say about their, their dogmatic belief system that they're saying, don't question me, just, just believe me, that's it. And I don't think that's healthy either. That's so true. And it's, it's funny that this ended up being the next episode because my podcast before this is titled Beware the IG Influencer because I try to make all my messaging tailored mm -hmm. down and I'm, sure you spoke about it many times before as well it's like 
a lot of people are putting messages out there to get like a little star on their back or like just put their name out there as someone who knows their shit to other fitness professionals. And that's exactly why having a coach is so beneficial, having a trainer, having a coach to make, to like titrate the information down to what is right for you. Because in this day and age, there's so much fancy shit everywhere and we want all the results yesterday. People want the pretty stuff that has become so focused on weight loss. And the pivotal part that people are missing is you're getting into this to be fitter, to be healthier, and to actually look a certain way, not for a stupid number on the scale. And this is where the whole building the base comes from and why it's actually so important to, I guess, know that you're starting somewhere, be okay with starting at the basics, and then build your way up from there. And I talk about this a lot, but this is something Andrew has been hopping on about over and over again. And it's why muscle is actually the cheat code for life. And it's not, it's not the actual weight loss that gets you the results. It will never get you results that you want because most people who approach it do so from uh, I'm hating myself there, or I'm going to slave away at this. Like if you're going to hate the process, you're never going to feel happy at the end result. So I guess this is where the strength training and the muscle benefits come in, not just in the way that you look, but everything else. So maybe you can sell everybody on why strength training is so important and why muscle itself is the cheat code for everything in life, not just the body. This is broad, but I'll start in one place and then we'll go from there. We'll see what tastes. So when it comes to dieting, as you alluded to, if we approach dieting aggressively, then we'll lose muscle mass, muscle. Like I was going to say lean muscle, which people get also pedantic about. It's like, oh, that's not, so, that's not a thing. It, we know what it means. People want to be lean. If you lose muscle mass, then you're going to lose metabolically active tissue that allows you to consume more calories long-term. If someone goes through several cycles of relatively aggressive dieting and muscle loss, only then regain the body fat quickly over the long run, they may actually weigh the same or more and have a lower muscle and therefore a lower metabolic rate. So that's the danger long-term. That's why people get trapped in that. If you engage in resistance training, strength training, then several things happen to increase the calories you burn and your long-term likelihood of sustaining your lean body mass and staying leaner. One is for about roughly two days, we'll say after a good out of strength resistance training, we see recovery from that training, which elevates your resting metabolic rate. So you literally increase your metabolism. We talk about these metabolic increasing foods. No bullshit. Nothing does that. Or this particular supplement increase your metabolism. Bullshit doesn't do it. But what does strength training and recovery from strength training? So that's one. Two, we tend to get caught in this idea that strength training is for building muscle and cardio is for burning calories. If you're doing your strength training fairly effectively, you're going to burn a lot of calories during it. And unless you're someone who has such incredible cardiovascular conditioning that you're maintaining very high intensity cardio for an hour, the amount of calories you burn in a good bout of strength training and, you know, steady state cardio are going to be far more comparable than you realize. The reason why cardio works for fat loss, once nutrition and strength training are taken into account, there's only so much strength training you can do before there's 
so much like to recover from so much muscle damage, joint, whatever, that beyond a certain point, it just, it isn't really a great idea. There's too much volume. We can't recover from it effectively. So then we can layer low impact cardio on top of that. Great. But in a one-to-one choice, if you only had an hour, three times a week to do one or the other, the benefits of strength training vastly outweigh the, the benefits of cardiovascular training. There are lots of benefits to cardiovascular training, heart health, mood, all that sort of stuff. But a lot of that stuff is still replicated with strength training. So in a one-to-one false dichotomy of one or the other, choose strength training 99 times out of 100. And then the third effect, which is oversold by trainers, but it does matter, is the amount of muscle mass that you have. And if you put on some muscle, well, then you require more calories to support it. Now, the difference between a, a, a small woman putting on one to two extra pounds of muscle is negligible. The difference between my six foot two, 255 pound frame versus Ruby's little frame is going to be a substantial amount. And, is, and you have a lot of muscle on the little frame, but there's a substantial difference in metabolic rate for the needs uh, between our statures. So if we look at it from that lens, resistance training is gonna be one of the best things you can do for long-term sustainable leanness, you said that. Let's go deeper. Okay, um, you know, bone mineral density matters for everybody, especially for women as they get older, postmenopausal women, they're more susceptible to osteoporosis, osteoarthritis. Resistance training helps mineralize bones. Straight up, amazing benefit. We have all of the very well-documented research-backed uh, improvements, enhancements to our emotional, mental, emotional health, mental health, all that stuff. Um, anybody who's been in and around that world knows the difference between when they're working out and their well-being versus when they're not. And you can also get a lot of that from cardiovascular stuff too, but strength training, very, very supportive of good mental health. Another thing the industry likes to argue about if someone says, oh, uh, the gym is my therapy, there is a tribe within our world that screech. They are vicious and they no, only therapy is therapy, therapy, fuck off. Like you're not helping. You're again, this is policing the language that other fitness professionals are using. If you're that pedantic that you need to fight this battle, you're not helping anyone. The person who says my, you know, the gym is my therapy. It's a, it's a, it's an expression and it is extraordinarily well-documented, the mental health benefits. It doesn't substitute for, you know, mental health interventions and nobody who's sensible is saying, oh, don't go and, and, you know, take care of the medical side of it. And, you know, there are going to be certain, you know, mental health diagnoses that will need medical intervention, but across the population, a substantial amount of people are going to feel better with things like, um, you know, not necessarily like clinical depression, but a lot of the depressive feelings we have, the anxieties, uh, all sorts of stuff is simply going to feel better if we just get regular exercise. And one of many contributing factors to why we have the prevalence of a lot of this mental health stuff right now is lack of physical activity in our society, right? And the last couple of years has been a nightmare for that. So we got the mental health side of stuff. We have... Um, God, I'm trying to think. I know that okay, just metabolic health. So the improvement in our blood pressure, our blood sugar, even in the absence of losing body fat, which is still one of the healthiest things we can do if we have an excess of body fat. It's true. You can see incredible improvement in your metabolic health simply by starting to resistance train, even in the absence of fat loss. So your blood pressure will, you know, if it's high, it can get back in normal ranges. Blood sugar can get back in normal ranges. Those are huge, right? So there's 
just so many reasons to do it, but yet we still have this barrier for a lot of people. And sometimes it's our industry's messaging and it's well-intentioned people who are spending more time fighting with each other over, you know, their dogmatic views about how it should be done versus creating an accessible, welcoming world. And, you know, I, I post a lot of stuff on social media about how positive the gym and the gym environment can be. There's always some asshole that comes in. No, gyms are blah, blah, blah. Gyms should be shut down. Gyms are bad for mental health. It's like, I'm really sorry you've had a bad experience, but this is not helping. You're, you're just screaming and you're not creating an impression that there are a lot of positive things out there. Yeah, people can have bad experiences in gym environments. There are bad people, selfish, stupid people, and there are gyms that are not good environments for everybody. But those are the minority. We can cherry pick them and focus on them, highlight them and create fear around the idea of going to the gym, or we can highlight how wonderful the experience can be. And we can take responsibility for smiling, wearing a warm expression, being someone who is a positive ambassador, both with our media and physically within the gym environment that you work in, or even if you attend, if I see someone who I feel like might be newer or looks like they're a little you know, unsure of themselves, I wear a warm expression. I make you know, polite eye contact, sometimes little nods of approval. So I'm a big, scary looking guy. And if that makes that person feel just a little bit more safe in that environment, maybe they stick around versus saying, oh, screw this. So yeah, we could go a long way towards making you know, gyms a lot more accessible to a broader array of people, including people that don't normally feel safe in gyms or haven't traditionally had access to gyms. It, yeah, and in having all those benefits as well and actually enjoying the process, you're going to make it a lot easier to lose fat. You're going to make it a lot easier to keep that fat off and to keep your results because you're enjoying the process, like I said before. And if you haven't listened to the previous podcast before this, I mentioned the same thing about patience where it's almost like you go to a buffet and you're presented with all of these food choices. You paid a certain fee at the, at the door and you're like, I have to make the most of this money. I have to eat everything. And it's the same with when you're like paying for a trainer or paying to get started or just paying with time and effort. It's like, oh, I have to get everything now. I need it now or it's nothing. It's like you're not actually willing to take the small steps and to take it one step at a time because you want to get the bang for your buck money for everything. It's like, no, 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 I need it now. I'm paying you. I need this now. But no, no, no. That's why there is such a resistance and such a like a pre prevalence of people yo-yoing. You want shit yesterday. You want to do everything now because doing just one habit isn't enough. Yet that's exactly why you haven't got your goals. You've been trying to do the same 10 habits all at once for the past 10 years. Like people think that it needs to be hard and painful. You think you need to do all this stuff at once because you're too busy comparing yourself to other people and how they make it look so easy, how they're able to do all these things. But how long have they been doing it for? Like, you need to start somewhere and it's not as dawning as you think it is. If you allow yourself to take a step back and to invest into your future versus your immediate needs and back to the cardio only burns calories and strength, whatever it's yeah. Cardio burns calories only while you're doing it, but strength training continues it for days and days to come because you tear muscle apart. That's metabolic. You have to build it together, then you have to maintain it. So it's 
an investment versus you're just buying a one-off thing. And this actually filters into the next question I wanted to ask, which is to get the benefits of everything that he said with the whole building muscle, building lean muscle, losing body fat, keeping results, you actually need to build muscle. And people go about that the wrong way where they're under eating and eating pretty much nothing at the same time as trying to build muscle or they're doing these stupid little circuits trying to keep the heart rate up or doing little jump rope things to do cardio accelerators. It's like, yes, those tools are beneficial for some people at some point in time, but the right tool for the right job at the right time. So I guess this is where you can lead into the whole thing about why it's so important to have patience to show up how to actually get this body to build this muscle and why identity is so fundamental in this whole piece because it is a long process and you're going to need patience so i'll try you know what i'll start with the identity part and then we'll try to circle back to everything you talked about habits you talked about behavior for everybody listening think about things that you define yourself to be you know maybe you are a devout member of your church your faith and maybe that means that it's very easy for you to go to church on sunday i grew up i'm I'm not a devout religious person so there's no goal to offend anybody who is religious and there's certainly no goal to offend anyone who isn't who doesn't really value religion that's an individual thing but if religion is something that's fundamental to you, you're more likely to go to church on Sunday. Someone who doesn't want to go to church, you have to kick, drag them kicking and screaming. If you like various, if you see yourself as a, as a gamer, you love certain video games, it's very, very easy to go and play that game. If you don't like video games, you won't do it. If you see yourself as a fit and active person in whatever dimension that means, maybe you're a cross-country skier, maybe you play volleyball, maybe you love basketball, Maybe you love cricket, right? Cricket's not really so much a thing here, but I know uh, Australians and Kiwis, you guys love, 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 love your cricket. Um, India, oh my God, it's like the biggest thing ever. I mean, some of my uh, clients who are from India and live in Canada, but originally grew up there, they're devoted cricket fans. Whatever that form of recreation is, it's a part of who you are, a part of your identity. And it's much easier to just go and do it. It doesn't, it's easier to break the inertia of sitting on the couch And it doesn't take a lot of willpower. And there's the key. You're bypassing willpower through doing things that align with your identity. So how can we use that with exercise? Well, let's say you've gotten away from being active. You're trying to get back into it. But you used to be a regular at the gym or you were athletic when you were younger. Tap into those aspects of your identity, pre-existing identity. Get back in touch with them. And use that to then make the decisions to do the behavior that is active and aligns with the identity, it'll it'll make it easier. Or maybe you've never been there before, but you have an aspirational identity, something that you want to do. Focus on that aspirational identity. Ask yourself a question. I like framing questions with the, uh, that start with what it's um, from a book, the coaching habit. Anybody who's a trainer, go read the coaching habit. Amazing book. What does life look like if you are a regular active gym goer and you get someone to visualize the things that are involved with that. And you alluded to, you know, small habits, small behavior change. And that's fundamental to the precision nutrition model. Uh, It's covered extensively in uh, BJ Fogg's book, tiny habits is really good. 
I think that works for most people. Funny, the research, and this is something that um, I, I attended a conference that Eric Helms spoke on this, so he least spoke on this, Dr. Spencer Dolsky in particular spoke on this, that in terms of enduring fat loss outcomes and success, people who lost weight faster were statistically more likely to keep it off. That sounds counterintuitive, but there's something to it as well. Now, we also have to be careful with statistics because there's, you know, the mean on a, on a graph versus, you know, what it, how it works for the individual. I still think we need to apply it individually. And I still think, you know, focusing on small habits and behavior change is a really good idea. And I don't think drastic aggressive dieting is the way to go, but maybe you're someone who does need to be a little bit more all in on the behavior and change multiple habits at the same time whatever works for you. But again, it has to be framed from a sustainable place. And I think if it's rooted in your identity or an aspirational identity, you're far more likely to be successful. Um, I'll, I'll get you to kind of go back to the original question again, because I want to make sure I capture the other aspects of it. Yeah. And on that habit start, it's habits are going to be harder and harder to form if you don't create the environment for them first. So you can either try and force the habits and keep trying to stack them and do what this habit change person says, but it's not going to happen until you create the environment for it. And I actually like that what question. I usually start things with how, like how is it going to make you feel? If you do this, how are you going to feel after it? Like I'm very big on the feels because we're emotional beings, but the question was down to why this identity part is so important and doing the inner work and self-development is so important because we need that to consistently show up and to do the strength training, to build the muscle. And the process is going to take a long time. And if it's not part of our identity, we're going to fall back into this yo-yo cycle of never really getting the results, falling for the fads, falling for the stupid IG influencers, putting stuff out there. And it's going to be harder and harder to listen to advice that's actually rooted for us. I you've alluded to the IG influence a few times. So I have a very strongly rooted philosophy in this and I like sharing it because I feel like it's important for coaches who are frustrated by what the IG influencers are doing. They're never going away. No amount of regulation in our industry is going to make them go off the internet. These people aren't certified anyway, so that's irrelevant. And Again, us focusing a lot of our time and thought and energy and attention on them and what they're doing and their messaging and policing it doesn't accomplish anything. So I'm a big believer in this. Do a better job of it. We can learn from what they're doing, but not use unethical tactics. We can do it with integrity. We can create relationships across the industry. We can double down on our own brand and our own media. And we have to be patient with it. It is no different. It's a, it's a perfect analogy for changing our physique, our body, and losing weight sustainably and, and changing our lifestyle. And it can be rooted in identity. I'm a big believer in breaking down self-limiting belief systems that fitness professionals often get rooted in. I, could, this, I did a presentation on this recently. You know, I once believed as a gym floor trainer, I could never be the person who spoke at conferences. I looked up to those kind of people. I'm like, oh, wow, this is this elite tier in the industry. I mentioned names like Eric Helms and Dr. Spencer Nadolsky and Sohi Lee. I never believed I'd be the person who'd be invited to appear on podcasts across the industry. I've probably done about 50 of them in the last two years. 
I never imagined I'd be the person who could host a successful podcast that's run for almost five years now. I certainly didn't think I could write for the publications that I came up through the industry reading every day. And yet here we are because I started challenging those belief systems and I started meeting some of the people who I had looked up to and saw that they were normal everyday people. So for everybody here who is a trainer growing a career, and especially if you feel like you're struggling and you feel like you're getting your message is getting lost in the noise, you can't control the other messages, but you can control what you're saying and you can follow and learn from people who do a really good job of it. You can invest time and effort in lots of books that are great about messaging story writing media um, message me on Instagram. I, and you specifically, like I respond to everything. I will give you answers and give you resources and especially books that will help you on that quest. Take ownership of it. We talk with our clients about personal responsibility and that's almost a, almost a taboo. It's, it's almost like uh, it's politically incorrect to tell people that they have to take personal responsibility. That message by itself doesn't help without talking about identity and habits. But at its essence, why shouldn't we do with our career what we're trying to ask our clientele to do? Take ownership, personal responsibility of our brand, our messaging, and taking all that experience and knowledge and, and everything that we've done to help the clients in front of us onto a broader medium, be it your podcast, Ruby, or your social media, or writing an article and a blog for your website, and being patient with it, but persistent with it so that way it grows and grows and reach more people. We're not going to change human behavior. We have billions of dollars going into food technology, uh, tech, big tech companies like Facebook and other social media platforms that understand the way that humans think and act. And they are food and media and information that is de designed and engineered to keep people attracted to it, wanting it and drawn to it. And then it plays upon our human desire to have quick results. You've mentioned that several times. We want to, humans are wired to be lazy and efficient when it comes to our calorie expenditure, because traditionally the environments we lived in, well, survival depended upon our ability to find enough food without expending more energy then would keep us alive, right? And then to feed families. Now we live in a, in a world of abundance. It's fundamentally changed. And outside of certain places in the world that don't have the same advantages that you and I do, or anybody listening to this podcast, we are probably not going to end up in a situation of extreme scarcity. So we now have to get into voluntary activity, which is against our biological, psychological wiring. So if we understand that, and we understand that also is how social media is engineered and how we interact with it, then we start to realize, okay, cool, we have to, we do have to take some responsibility for our outcome when it comes to our health, but also our emotional well-being and how we interact with social media. So it goes back to, okay, are we following these accounts that are giving us bad information or frustrating us? Are we fitness professionals following stuff? They're like mad that we've all done it. This one person pisses us off because the way that they speak, the way they use language, the way that they have this big following, we're entitled to that because that person doesn't deserve it because they don't share good information. Fuck off. Go out and earn it. Go be better than that. Learn from the mistakes. But if you're exposing yourself to that stuff every day and it's distracting you and it's making you feel anxious, depressed, angry, maybe we shouldn't follow that stuff. Maybe the person who is struggling with their body image 
who looks phenomenal, but is following 10 bikini competitor accounts and comparing themselves, their everyday imperfections that they're hyper aware of with pictures of people who are maybe photoshopped, uh, dieted down for one particular day for a photo shoot or a show, there may or may not be performance enhancing drugs in that picture. There's probably water, temporary water ma manipulation that is not sustainable. That picture is not that person's every day. And you're comparing it to your every day and your internal struggles. That's not fair. So if those are the things you're exposing yourself to all of the time, of course, you're going to be miserable. And it's true of fitness professionals and the media and the people we follow. So why are we following and plugging into stuff that robs from our emotional well-being? Find the people that fulfill you, make you feel good, provide good information with integrity. And you know what? We can't control or change the rest. And we have this cultural mentality now that we need to shut down and silence and deplatform people that we don't agree with because, ooh, that person's bad. Okay, I, I don't like that approach because I find that's entitled. I find it's very authoritarian. I, I can't get behind the idea of, of like limiting freedom of expression. I know we're getting into like almost like political social stuff here. And I don't want to go into that realm because I think that could be a trap that people get really angry about too. But when it comes to the microcosm of our industry, I'm a big believer in, you know, stop worrying about this. Like we have Joe Rogan's a great example. I've never watched a Rogan podcast in my life. I don't care. I respect what he's done between his, uh, you know, time as a comedian, he was on television with news radio, that TV show. And then he fear factor. I never liked fear factor. I thought it was a stupid show, but here he is still forefront. He had a relationship early with mixed martial arts, huge practitioner before the UFC blew up. He was a part of it. So he's their commentator. Then he's one of the first people to embrace podcasting as a platform. And he's one of the biggest people in the world in that, but we have this tribe that wants him to go away because he doesn't share the right kind of message because we don't agree with it. And we have a whole bunch of, and there's going to be someone listening who's going to get mad, but hear me out. Have you ever gone and listened to everything that Rogan's saying, all of his guests and gone through it? Not just the things that, well, someone with a big social media account who's very politically biased to one side said Rogan's bad. Therefore, you think Rogan's bad and needs to go away. What do you actually know about what he's saying? And again, I've never listened to his podcast. I don't care. I don't have the time to do it. But I think when someone is screaming for him or he's a metaphor for anything else out there that you disagree with. Instead of being angry and screaming and wanting to control things you can't control, make them go away and being miserable and angry and being nasty with anyone else who happens to like Rogan. If someone likes Rogan, fine, I don't care. If someone doesn't like him, fine, I don't care. Doesn't affect me at all. Doesn't affect my ability to go and coach my next client that's coming in the door after the podcast, right? That's what I'm focused on. And I pray that fitness professionals will start thinking this way and going, there's all this crap that we get twisted about. And none of that stuff is helping the person we're trying to help in any way, shape, or form. Now, I've gone on a bit of a tangent here, but I think it underlies everything we've talked about when it comes to messaging in our own media. Yeah, and I was just going to tie it up to make it a lot more relevant to my audience as well, because I don't really think there's many fitness professionals, but the way that you spoke of fitness professionals looking at IG influencers, it's like, yeah, but that's the same as you looking at other people with certain bodies and comparing yourself to them and then you brought up joe rogan which i don't know who really cares about him as well but it's like but look how he got to this massive platform he got there because he did other shit same with that person with 161 000 
followers on Instagram. They're dumb, but I'm just putting it bluntly. They're dumb. They put out dumb shit, but everyone says, oh, but they have a lot of followers. They must be good. I need to get their coaching program, blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah, you don't know how they got there. A lot of people have a lot of followers because they want some stupid figure comp or some stupid bikini comp. They don't have any education. They're selling their booty band programs. And I'm someone that doesn't actually focus on that stuff, but it's like, I need, it's bringing awareness to the fact that, yeah, some, I hear a lot of podcasts and I follow a lot of podcasts that have a lot of dumb shit on there. And like, literally it's like, there's a lot of dumb shit on there, but I still follow them because in that dumb shit, there's some podcasts that are really good with some really good people on there, but it's, it's like that's not something that a normal person can actually like be able to filter through because you you don't know any better when you listen to these podcasts and that's why I try to filter down my messaging to be only with people that I know don't it's not evidence-based it's evidence-informed because you can't just go off what's written in scriptures like there's other things that you need to take into consideration. And I know that Lauren Bennett says it all the time in because I did his graduate diploma. His thing is we're not evidence-based, we're evidence-informed. We use the evidence to apply to the actual person in front of us. And there's a lot of factors to take into consideration. And this is why going back to the thing we started the whole conversation on, which is where the link comes in. It's like, yeah, but advice for one person isn't the right advice for someone else. I can really good advice is terrible for some people and terrible advice might be exactly what someone needs to actually get started and then learn and then shift their thinking one way and I actually had a podcast with Marcy talking about identity which I'm about to put up a video and I'll tag you in it after but bringing up this identity thing this is why we need to have boundaries on our life and have non-negotiables in regards to okay this is my training time I'm showing up to it this is how, like, John Goodman put up that post about how everyone makes a big fuss about someone trying to change their life and eat healthy, but they don't bat an eye when they're grabbing a burger from a burger joint. It's learning to change your identity one habit at a time, creating the environment for it. But first, like you said, you need to believe that you can do it. Because if you come into it like I've always failed, well, how are you setting yourself up for success? You're, you're, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot before you even get started. Like you need to let go of those limiting beliefs and be willing to challenge them. Be willing to shift your goalposts from all the way over here to just getting started. Like getting started in itself is a goal. And then the next day, and then the next day. And something we both talk about are trade-offs. Like, yeah, okay, there's a message out there saying you can probably eat the donut, but maybe it's not really good thing for you right now because the trade-off is going to be, it's going to lead to binge eating. It's going to lead to more cravings. Like there's trade-offs for everything in regards to your training, but also in regards to your nutrition, in regards to anything that you do with time, with money, with, with satisfaction, with your food. Like it's being aware of all that stuff, which is where I kind of wanted you to bring in the boundaries and trade-offs and how it does relate to everything altogether. You made me think of one particular aspect of environment that we sometimes forget about. You know, an essential part of creating habits and lifestyle change is shaping your environment. There's a concept in a book called Nudge 
um, by uh, Richard Thaler, and I can't remember the other author. It's called Paternal Libertarianism, a goofy name, but it's it's really just about choice architecture, about are the cookies in the pantry downstairs or are they on the counter and the amount of effort it takes to go get them, that sort of thing. Or I'm a big believer in, okay, well, if there's, a, I want to be careful about using language around like trouble food, but if we have food that tends to be trigger food, then we shouldn't have it in the house. Maybe we have to make more effort to go get it if we really want it. That, those are good examples of, of controlling your environment. But another aspect is navigating the people. Now, people are a lot harder to control. In fact, trying to control them isn't really a great idea, but you may have to set boundaries around people. You mentioned John Goodman's post about why no one bats an eye if you have the cookies or the other unhealthy food, but you start doing healthy behaviors and you start getting pushback. It's because your effort to better yourself and focus on your health and be active and eat better makes people around you uncomfortable because it makes them hyper aware of their own inability to do those things that they deep down know would make them feel better. And that's when all of a sudden in the, the office, donuts start showing up and you hear language like, oh, live a little, oh, just have a drink or whatever. It's because those people are sabotaging you, whether they're doing it willfully or subconsciously, they want to make the discomfort go away. And you've made them uncomfortable because of your efforts. So if you start by recognizing those kind of behaviors and having boundaries around them and just saying, I mean, sometimes you have to tell someone straight up to fuck right off. But sometimes it's just as simple as, no, thank you. You know, I would really appreciate if you didn't offer me this. I'm very serious about, you know, some lifestyle behavior change. And I don't want to be asked, you know, to have a donut. And if, if someone were to ever use language like live a little with me, I would tell them straight to fuck off. I have a good friend. We're having a little bit of a disagreement of things these days. I haven't talked to him, but who occasionally when there's a night of drinking or whatever, he likes to drink a lot. If I have decided my night's over and I need to go to bed, he will start calling me a pussy and start using this sort of language. And I'll tell him, fuck off, straight up. And it's, it's a very literal example of this sort of thing. Now, we're always fine. But, uh, you know, I know my boundary around that sort of thing. And, and he's terrible with it. Okay. But at least I'm comfortable saying that, knowing that it won't damage the fabric of the, of the friendship. But yeah, we often have to look at, okay, we have a household. Oh, the, the husband is always the one bringing in the crap food because he wants to eat it, but the wife really wants to take her, her nutrition seriously. Or is he bringing in her favorite treats despite her efforts? Because he knows that when he brings those treats in, it makes her happy. And she's also enabling that sort of behavior too. So there's things that the wife in this example has to communicate, but there's also things that the husband has to do as well. There can be some situations in shared environments with family that can be really problematic if you've got a person who's just going to bring that kind of food in anyway, and that's it. And sometimes that person is a saboteur. I've worked with clients. I have one old example where the one spouse, one partner wanted to you know, get in better shape. And the other partner was a deeply insecure individual. Like we're talking on a, on a really pathological level. And anytime that one partner would book a training session with me, the other partner would make sure he suddenly had an errand to run or something else that would take him off course. And so he wasn't, he was missing a lot of training sessions. And ultimately the, the, the second partner even tried to take over the, the, relationship and saying, oh, you can book through me, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I'm not having any of this crap. And ultimately as a coach, this didn't work for me. And I had a tough conversation with that client and I really like him and we get along great, but 
that was the end of our training relationship. And it wasn't something I ended. He just stopped coming ultimately because he wasn't able to set a boundary around this when I explained, all right, here's what I'm seeing is going on. And in that particular situation as a trainer, I mean, you want to try to make the situation better and help this person. But if you've got a client who's constantly canceling on you and is creating stress and a distraction affecting your ability to do the rest of your job, that's a boundary you need to set. And maybe that client isn't a really good fit for you, no matter how well-intentioned they are. Anyway, wandered a little bit off course there. But yeah, everything is about boundaries. Um, having an identity, a strong identity in these positive behaviors makes it a lot easier to have boundaries because boundaries come with a sense of identity. So they all tie together. And with the identity, like there is no such thing as getting back on track or you fell off track. That's the thing because it's who you are. It's what you do and it's what you identify with. So if instead of saying, oh, I need to make these New Year's resolutions, I love New Year's resolutions, but I don't call them resolutions. I call them desires for the year, what you want to achieve in that year, because it's not for New Year's. It's for every single day. And I hate setting New Year's resolutions in December because everyone thinks everything slows down. I can just get everything set for the 1st of January. But December's actually the craziest time for a lot of people. There's New Year's to worry about. There's Christmas to worry about. No one gets a breath. So take December, take January as your transition phase into the new year and develop the habits. If you fail, learn, get up again. Instead of saying, oh, I already screwed up the first week or screwed up the first month. Let's just do nothing. No, but that's the thing. Because even January is busy. You're going back into work. There's a lot to catch up on. You probably have a case file this big. And just to tie it up, because I know you have to go soon. You, I'm watching it. Um, you mentioned self-sabotage. It, I mean, you mentioned sabotage from other friends. The thing is, we already have enough sabotage going on with people, with our environment as it is, with the TV, with the ads on Instagram, with your explore feed, if you spend too much time liking food photos or you're going to see food photos. Like I have a couple of friends that always post their food photos and because of them, I'm always seeing food photos. It's like, I don't give a shit. That's, that's the other thing. It's like, I used to love seeing food photos because I was so deprived. Now I don't give a shit about seeing food. It's like, I really don't care. I don't care about food as a topic. I have such a good relationship with food. Now I'm eating like 2,800 calories. I'm in abundance. I don't like when you put yourself into this identity of that mindset of abundance instead of deprivation, you stop having all of these other saboteurs weighing you down. Like you already have that. You don't need self-sabotage too. And same with the whole live a little, you only live once. It's like, yeah, that's the point. And life is not short. It's the longest thing you do. So make it something that is worth living, something that you are not going to struggle with when you get to your ending years. Because when I see the elderly now, when they, like the weight training wasn't so big back then, I my heart crumbles seeing that stuff. It's like, I don't want to be like that. But like, that's the reality. And I had the same thing too. Like I have a bedtime of being better at eight, go to sleep at 9.30. People used to call me a nun for sleeping early, but the thing that I like bringing into this, I like, you can probably have a what question here is, but how do you want to feel when you go to sleep at night? Same with when you go out for social dinners or when you go out to drink. Yeah. But how do you want to feel when you go to bed? Like, do you want to feel like a tipsy mess or like you're so bloated and you have this food coma and then regret everything? 
Or do you want to wake up the next morning? How do you want to feel then? Like, do you want to feel energized? Like you can actually get back on track again because you can do those things, but that's where abundance comes in and living with the mindset of abundance because then you can do those things. So I guess to kind of sum it up, it's, I'm going to let you sum it up because we spoke about so much, but you are really good at the art of brevity. And with that, <laughs> if you had to sum up this whole conversation of all the different aspects, we it's probably my favorite one in a, quite a bit actually, because we covered so much good shit and it was all related to each other. And it's also applicable to everybody. If you apply it to your job, your own personal development, your own physical development. So I'll let you sum it up with that and anything other than your stuff that you said at the beginning, I'll put down below. It's, it's about taking ownership of your process, your outcome, everything. Uh, you can take ownership in fostering the identity or plugging in with the identity that you want to live. It's about taking ownership of your decisions. It's about taking ownership of crafting the environment around you, including navigating the relationships and interactions with people that can function as saboteurs. It is taking ownership of the media that you consume, that you plug into, and it's taking ownership of your attitude towards the things out there that may frustrate you make you mad in choosing not to allow those things to affect your emotional well-being because that's draining and in turn makes it a lot harder for you to then make have the bandwidth to make decisions have the willpower to make decisions that sometimes when it's a little tough you've had a very taxing day and you want to default to ordering out the pizza when in fact you know very well that you have you know chicken and, and vegetables in the fridge you could make something nice it just takes a little bit more effort so you know, again, we can frame this as personal responsibility, but even I don't think that messaging works very well, even though it's fundamentally true. But if we can say, listen, we have to take ownership of this stuff. We're adults. And it's really important that you make fundamental choices for your own betterment and in whatever form that takes. So think about it in terms of taking ownership. I love that. It's not, it's not your fault for what happened before, but you do have to take responsibility for the future and take that ownership. So I thank you so much for coming on. I, it was actually amazing to do such a diverse but narrowed down podcast with you and talk about all things. So I will leave Andrew Coates Fitness below is his Instagram handle. He posts a lot on Twitter as well. So you can find him at the same place on Twitter. And it's short, succinct stuff that I'm not going to say it cuts the bullshit, but it promotes stuff that isn't all about black and white mentality. It's about making sense of the noise. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to make sense of the noise because the noise isn't going anywhere. It's not going anywhere in our friends and it's not going anywhere in our environment. So with that, I thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Ruby. I really appreciate you having me. And like I said earlier, if someone has questions, the all roads to all my other media lead through Instagram. Find me there. Send me a message. I'll always reply to them. I'd love to hear from you guys. Thanks for listening. Go show Ruby some support. Go give her a review if you haven't already. If you guys have been loyal listeners, go share her podcast with someone in your world. You know, you getting all this stuff for free and plugging in. Find a, a way to give something back and show some appreciation. And something as simple as a review can go a long way. So thanks so much. Hope to hear from you guys. Thanks, Ruby. Thank you.